hello, and welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum, and we are finishing up right now our preliminary positional previews, and we have just one position left. In terms of New York Giants needs, we kind of saved this one for last because for the Giants, it probably should not be discussed very often. Um, And that is running back. Uh, The Giants, they used all the draft stock uh, in running back last year when they picked Saquon Barkley second overall. That is not a discussion we need to get into right now, but we are just going to look at some of some of the top running backs, some of maybe the under the radar running backs we can look at and discuss that maybe could be an option um, as a secondary piece you know, later in the draft. So you ready to break down some running backs today, Chris? Yeah, let's get let's get going. All right. So, I mean, like like we said, running back is is not going to be a position of need for the Giants, especially also the Wayne Gallman on the roster served as a fine complementary option there. I personally would have liked to see Gallman and Barkley on the field together uh, a little more to kind of mix it up, either both of them in the backfield or one of them in the slot. They both have the ability to do that. And especially since they, the Giants basically punted at number three wide receiver. So if you could have done that instead of having a third wide receiver on the field or having a second tight end, I think that probably would have added a little more dynamic piece to the offense. And then maybe if the Giants you know, go somewhere very late <laughs> in the draft, please very late. Um, <laughs> although I was told that, that a great running back makes the quarterback better, makes the offensive line better. So uh, considering those are still two issues with the Giants, maybe a great running back is still something they should look at in the top of the draft yeah you know it it would be nice if they could find a great running back but you know i'm just not sure if they make those anymore maybe if they found one that could you know put on a cape and like leap over the offensive and defensive lines to score maybe run like a 4 4 40 while stumbling jump out of the gym about you know 5'11", 220, 230 pounds, able to jump cut on a dime. Somebody like that would be really great to add to the offense. He'd make everything better. He wouldn't. We wouldn't have to sit through any 5 and 11 seasons anymore, right? Uh, yeah. Okay, so moving on to actual running back discussion. <laughs> so I, I think when we break down these guys, I think there's a, an interesting running back group, I, I guess. I know when I'm looking at running backs, two things I really care about is whether they can break tackles and whether they can catch the ball. I think those are two things that translate uh, very well to the NFL. And there's a little bit of that in this class. The receiving backs are like, they've completely gone away. I I don't know what happened. We're going to talk about like a couple of these guys um, who had like way better receiving numbers in 2017 and then like completely disappeared in 2018. So I'm not totally sure why that would be, but I guess we can, we can dig into these guys and I think uh, one of the top backs I think going to be someone from Alabama actually possibly two guys from Alabama now that Josh Jacobs has declared but that first guy is going to be Damian Harris from Alabama yeah you can't really watch Alabama football without knowing who Harris is he's got like pretty much every running back Nick Saban recruits He, he looks like an NFL GM assembled him out of a catalog and he plays like it. Yeah. He's just a good back who does everything pretty well. 
not exactly an elusive guy, but again, Alabama backs aren't exactly known for their ability to make tacklers miss so much as just disregard them. Yeah, he's not as big as some of the guys they've had previously, but is listed at 5'10", 216, that's solid. Yeah, it, it's interesting, especially when you compare like what Harris did to what Josh Jacobs did. Harris was a little more of, of the speed back, I guess, but I think he benefited <laughs> a lot from from the offensive line and uh, I'll go over uh, so what some of these guys rank or ran behind for offensive lines and I'm going to use adjusted line yards for football outsiders uh, and that basically just divides credit on each run between the offensive line and the running back depending on basically just how long the run was. Now Alabama unsurprisingly was second in adjusted line yards last year among all Imagine the- that. Yeah. So Harris had like a a decent success rate, but only 18% of broken tackle rate, which is not great. So he was very much more like the the straight line runner and he found the holes. But when you compare him to Josh Jacobs, who ran behind the same offensive line, and they were almost even in carries 150 for Harris to 120 for Josh Jacobs, he had a little bit higher success rate. He had a 39.2% broken tackle rate, and that is Jacobs. So they were very different runners uh, behind uh, the same line. So just I guess depending on what you are looking for is what skill sets you prioritize is which Alabama running back you would like more. And that's fair. You know, they'll both probably be good pros. And like you said, might probably depend on what the individual general manager is looking for, what they want their, I guess, team identity to be, what kind of, uh, maybe what kind of blocking scheme they use. But yeah, and then in, in terms of receiving, it's not like even one was much better. Jacobs had 26 targets, 20 receptions, 247 yards. Harris had 28 targets, 22 receptions, 204 yards. So, I mean, not super different there. So I think when you're looking at the backs, I think they might, both of those guys are probably going to be you know, in the top five, not in terms of, of overall draft, but when you rank these running backs, I think both of those backs are going to be highly regarded as we go forward. So I I think as we move on, one guy we can talk about uh, who was really impressive at not quite as big of a school is David Montgomery, who, depending on who you ask, some might regard him as running back one in this class. Yeah, I I have seen that. Uh, I'm not really regarding any of the running backs at the top of the draft, at least until, you know, my feet get put to the fire and I have to start doing a big board but you know right now i'm not, I'm not going to argue with anyone who says he's rb1 it, he's really good at the things that i like to see out of out of a running back which are vision you know the ability to see the hole see where the defenders are where they are not and basically know how to set them up and set the blocking up and then contact balance. Basically, that ability to take a hit and not go over if not fall down if you get arm tackled in the thigh. Those are two things I've noticed that basically all great running backs have, regardless of how big they are, 
whether or not they have a four five forty, a four six forty, or a four three forty. Yep. Two things for me are the biggies, and those are the two things that Montgomery is really good at. Yeah, so he had a 35.4% broken tackle rate, which is very good. Uh, That is going to translate. His overall efficiency and success rate wasn't great, but that was also because he was running behind an offensive line that ranked 97th. 9-7. That's not great. Yeah, so he was running behind... (laughs) That's not ideal. ...one of the worst offensive lines really in the country but he was still able to to break tackles at a high rate he had a 31.9 percent first down rate uh, which is still pretty good especially considering there weren't many holes being open for him so uh, when you look at you know a, a running back who has to uh, produce on his own uh, that was that was absolutely him you put him uh, behind a slightly better offensive line and I can't stress enough how much offensive lines in college and in the pros impact the running game. I think we saw that with Saquon Barkley this year. How good Barkley was individually, it really did not matter when the offensive line could not consistently create holes for him to get through. So the individual talent of a running back only matters so much if an offensive line is not there. But if you look at someone like Montgomery who produced without that offensive line, that is good. He's one of these guys that also didn't have great receiving numbers this year. Only 25 targets, 22 receptions, and 157 yards. But last year, he was a much bigger part of the Iowa State passing game with 47 targets and 36 receptions. Um, So I'm not totally sure why that would cut you know almost in half but that is a good indicator that he can be a piece of a passing game uh, going forward in the NFL yeah the only thing I could think of with regards to his passing numbers is maybe just Hakeem Butler being a monster he just absorbed some of those passes yeah we briefly touched on Butler during our wide receiver episode and his target share was 33.3 percent so literally a third of Iowa State's passing attempts went to Hakeem Butler. So that is, yeah, that is part of it. Uh, although, you know, you would like to see maybe the Montgomery, who was clearly, if not the the best player, the second best player on that offense, getting a couple more touches. But as we uh, move on now, let's go to uh, someone who who is also uh, kind of interesting, was uh, a senior this year and maybe could have gotten a little, drafted a little higher if he came out last year. Uh, that's Miles Gaskin of Washington. Yeah, of all these guys, Gaskin might be my favorite. He probably won't be the first one off the board, but for me, when he's, especially his junior season, more than a senior season, because I think his offensive line was a little bit better his junior year. Washington's offense, I think, definitely was. He is just fun to watch. I know I bring that up a lot, but it's it's just true i like guys who are fun he's a little bit smaller than these other guys i i've seen him listed at either 5'9 sometimes 5'10 right around 200 205 pounds but he's got that almost shady mccoy ability to just drop his hips and move in ways that a running back just probably shouldn't be able to do really great balance really good vision and just he can navigate around and through the line of scrimmage like few other backs i've seen 
Yeah, he's someone I liked a lot after his junior year, uh, but he, he struggled a little bit uh, in the senior year, and, and by struggle, he still had 1,268 rushing yards on 259 attempts, um, but just not not as explosive. I think part of that was kind of just the the Washington offense wasn't overall explosive. I think if anyone sat through the, the Pac-12 championship <laughs> game, you can see that the Washington offense just was not clicking uh, very often this year. So Gaskin had a 21.6% broken tackle rate. That's you know okay. You would like to see that be maybe a little higher with someone who is potentially as quick uh, and shifty as Gaskin is. 26.3% of his runs went for first downs. Um, that's on the low side, I would think. Uh, but his offensive line, again, wasn't great. That was 66 in adjusted line yards. And then I think we can get into something. I'll try to keep this short. But his receiving profile from this year was absolutely just insane. So and in- just a quick disclaimer before you really dig into this. We spent probably about a half hour before recording this show trying to suss out why this happened. Yeah, so I'm going to try to keep this very short. This this is absolutely going to fall into the category of this may only interest me, but I just think it's it's worth exploring for a little bit. So in 2017, Gaskin, 24 targets, 19 receptions, and 232 yards. That's uh, you know that's a decent profile for for receiving back. This year he had more targets. He had 30, 21 receptions, only 77 receiving yards. I don't know how it's possible to have 27 receiving yards on 21 catches. Um, but I kind of tried to dig into it a little bit and. Washington was absolutely terrible on screen passes to Gaskin. So per Sports Info Solutions, he had 11 targeted screen passes, 8 receptions. Those 8 receptions went for 7 yards. He had 53 yards after the catch on those screen passes that went for 7 total positive yards. That is amazing. So Washington was actually much better on screen passes to wide receivers where they averaged 8.5 yards per attempt on 24 wide receiver screens, but just 6.4 yards per attempt on 16 running back screens. So that that's just insane to me. So I think Gaskin can be much better in the passing game than he should than the numbers would indicate in 2018. So but that was just something that kind of blew my mind of how he could only have 77 uh, receptions and part of it was just Washington was so bad at setting up his screens, uh which is crazy. Yeah, it it's just weird. May, I don't maybe defenses were paying special attention to it and just trying to lock that aspect of their offense down. Maybe some of the injuries and everything they'd suffered along the way impacted it, but the fact that they could throw screens to wide receivers, but not to Gaskin is weird. Yeah, so just like going through his game log, he had a game against Utah, three receptions for negative one yards. The bowl game against Ohio State, just three receptions for negative one yards. I mean, there were there were just things like this kind of all over the place. So, uh, but he's someone who I think will continue to profile a little better um, in the NFL, possibly in, in a better offensive situation. One other guy who is kind of like that and someone who I also uh, liked before the season but kind of saw his role change up a little bit is, is Justice Hill of Oklahoma State. Yeah, he's your guy, so why don't you go on about him? 
Yeah, so I, I like him. I, I liked him quite a bit. He only had 157 rushing attempts, 915 yards. I, I think he, he is a guy who can be uh, a, a little shiftier and, and can move around a little bit. He only 24.1% broken tackle rate and 24.1% first down rate. So those two numbers you would like to, to see a little bit. And he's another guy who saw his receiving production drop quite a bit. So he only had 17 targets and 13 receptions for 68 yards this year. And last year, that was 44 targets and 31 receptions. So he was he was a bigger piece of the passing game last year. But Oklahoma State had... Had a, had a freshman running back. He was a redshirt freshman, Chubba Howard, who got a little more run um, on the ground. He had 124 attempts um, and then also uh, got a little more a little more run in the passing game with 22 receptions. So he was a little more of, of the passing down back as as Hill you know, had, had a slightly smaller role in the offense. But I think Hill is, is also someone who could probably uh, profile pretty well going forward if there's an offense that can put him in a position to to be a bigger part of the passing offense. And just given how NFL offenses are changing, that is not unlikely. Right, yeah, I think offenses are, are starting to figure out more and more that you know, running back targets are more efficient than running back rushing attempts, and that it's basically getting the player the ball in a more advantageous situation. You can create a little more space if you can put them already past the line of scrimmage. Uh, so I think that's absolutely somewhere the offenses are are going and are continuing to go. That's you know one of the hangups with the, how the Giants use Barkley. He was used a lot in the passing game. You would just like to see him used a little more efficiently. And I think I think teams are are starting to figure that out. At least the smarter teams are. And I think that it will eventually catch on. And I think that's going to continue to be a, a big piece of how teams evaluate running backs coming into the NFL. I think uh, how they are able to play in the passing game is going to be as big or more important of a trait that NFL teams look at in these guys. As it should be, because just in a game situation, if you are running the ball, you have to get through the line of scrimmage. So you have to deal with the defensive linemen, linebackers coming downhill. If you're throwing the ball to a running back, even if it's just an a quick angle route they're already going to be in space and hopefully your quarterback will put them in a position where they'll be getting the ball already moving so they're generally only going to have to deal with one defender as opposed to however many are closing in on the running lane and they'll just have more momentum yeah, just just everything is is easier if you are starting with the ball in more space and past the line of scrimmage. You're already you're already in a better position than getting the ball handed to you seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. It's just that's it's it's simple logic. It's not the way the NFL has been built up to this point. But I think as we continue to see research into the running game and how inefficient it is and getting running backs the ball through the air is a much better usage for some of these guys. I think it's something we'll we'll continue to see going forward. So as we we move on here, I think there's two names we can touch on. They're guys you liked, Chris, but just a lot of people had high hopes for coming into this season, but injuries kind of have 
put their draft stock, I guess, it really up in the air. And that's going to be Rodney Anderson, um, who hurt his knee uh, back in November for Oklahoma. And then Bryce Love, who was uh, one of the Heisman frontrunners last year, chose to go back to Stanford, uh, had kind of a disappointing year, and then tore his ACL. So those are two guys who have some of the potential, but the injuries have really just pretty much just plummeted their draft stock right now. And we really don't know what the NFL is going to think of them. Yeah. Now Bryce Love was, he could have come out after last year. He was a junior and he was coming off just a ridiculous season. He was efficient. His freshman and sophomore season averaging uh, about seven and a half yards a carry. He's not much of a receiver. He had his most receptions this year with 20. So he's not a huge part of the Stanford passing game. But last year, his junior year, he had his most efficient year on the ground. And he finally got volume. And he got volume on volume. He had 263 carries for 2,118 yards. That's 8.1 yards a carry and 19 touchdowns. That's kind of ridiculous. He's not big, basically the same size that uh, David Wilson was back in the day. He isn't a ridiculous athlete, but he's one of these guys with, with great contact balance, really good short area quickness and vision. And again, you can see what he can do when he's healthy. This year, he had an ankle injury, and like you said, he tore his ACL in the in Stanford's final game. So that will probably drop him down. He was already being talked about as a possible day three pick before the ACL, so it wouldn't surprise me if he went undrafted. But it also wouldn't surprise me if a team took a, a late-round flyer on him hoping they could get him healthy and get the 2017 version. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a bummer. I mean, it's another one of the things where, man, if you're a junior running back who had a good season, just, I, I understand, especially if you're going to Stanford and, and you have, he had, I think, a, a pretty a big degree that he, he wanted to go after. So you completely understand that. But just in a vacuum, come to the NFL, especially at running back. Yeah, I mean, in 2017, he was one of those guys. He had that great season behind an offensive line that wasn't great. They were 74th in adjusted line yards in 2017. But then 2018, he he struggled. He wasn't as good. And Stanford was 114th in adjusted line yards. So that was that was part of the difference. He was playing, he was already behind a bad offensive line that got worse. So that did impact his numbers. So, I mean, in 2017, I, he wouldn't have been in, in the Barkley conversation but maybe he would have been in like the the Nick Chubb carry on Johnson conversation and maybe or the second Tony round. Michelle. Yeah, yeah, around there. So as we'll see, but but yeah, so he's absolutely like so with the torn ACL, he's not going to be able to work out. So this is just going to be uh, if someone takes a late round fire on him, that's really all it's going to be. Now, Anderson is maybe in a little better position where he hurt his knee in November, so so he'll you know, be healthier sooner. But again, he's 
he was someone who who left school in November because he already had his degree, uh, so he was going to declare for the NFL after the season anyway. Um, so he has been working on rehab and working toward the NFL. So that you know, could possibly help him a little bit too. But again, having the injury in in your last year, that's that's very obviously not what you want to see heading into being drafted. Yeah, no, and he was a guy people were excited to see his junior season because of how effective he was his sophomore season. Yeah. Uh, granted, Oklahoma has just a nasty offensive line. There's a bit of a learning curve there to get them up to the NFL way of doing things. They're rarely in a three-point stance, but... When they recruit offensive linemen, they recruit guys who are big, powerful, and they're in a conference that already doesn't play much defense, and this offensive line generally just bullies whoever lines up across from them. But Anderson's also a guy who, he's got all those traits you look for. You know, he's he's got the vision, he's got the contact balance, he's really fluid through his lower body, and... He's just a complete back. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that'll be something NFL teams have to weigh because, yeah, he is someone who was impressing up until that injury. And then you know, Trey Sermon came in and, and he kind of took over for Oklahoma. So we'll see how the NFL views Anderson because it, it was, he would have been someone who was probably, you know, in that maybe second tier of, of backs that, that would be coming out. Um, so I think those are those are the big guys uh, we're going to hit on today. We're kind of blowing through running back because it's not really as important of a position. Um, but the two guys I, I want to point out uh, who are in smaller schools, but are depending on who you ask, some people who are really looking into this will probably have among their, their top running backs are Devin Singletary of Florida Atlantic University and Darrell Henderson of Memphis. So... Just Henderson, real quick, I think led NCAA in rushing yards, uh, 1,909 this year. That's We can take yards per carry with multiple grains of salt, but that's 8.9 yards per carry for 214 attempts. He had 24.8% broken tackle rate, uh, 36.9% first down rate, which is pretty good. Um, he was behind an offensive line that was... You know, decent 34th in adjusted line yards so he's someone i think just for for sheer volume and the efficiency on that volume i think is probably someone uh, who's going to get a look uh, just he had 25 targets 22 receptions and 157 yards but i think if we go to singletary who has possibly one of the craziest profiles here he's about five listed at five nine 200 pounds he had 261 carries for fau uh, a 41.9% broken tackle rate. That is absolutely insane. <laughs> so on, on 40% of his carries, he averaged a broken tackle. Uh, what, that's just completely crazy to me. And that was behind an offensive line that was ranked 88th in adjusted line yard. So if we talk about a guy who is producing without a lot of help around him, that would be Devin Singletary. He had 24 targets, 19 receptions, 198 yards. So it, not super involved in the passing game, but when you when compare it to these running backs, you know that's, that's about where everyone is uh, in this class. 
class. Uh, so you could probably get some more receiving production there. But you know, when when you're looking for a trait that being that good at breaking tackles, and that was something that Saquon Barkley had. Of course, he had you know some other traits that made him uh, incredible. Also, but I mean that broken tackle rate of forty one point nine percent with with literally no help around him uh, is something that I think is going to to raise some eyebrows uh, when people are going to his tape. Oh yeah, and if anything's going to drive them to his tape, just look at his scoring production over three years. That's over the thirty eight games. He has sixty six rushing touchdowns. And he also has uh, one receiving touchdown. So he averaged 1.7 touchdowns a game over three years. That's pretty ridiculous, especially considering his offensive line and how often he had to break a tackle. He wasn't getting too, too many wide-open gaping alleys to run through. (laughs) No, no, he was not at all. I, I would... I would say that the number of carries he had, especially over the last two years, is a little bit of a concern. 562 carries over the last two years. That is a lot of wear and tear. Again, especially as hard as he had to run. But I suppose that would be something for the NFL's medical teams to investigate. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's... Absolutely fair, because specifically, you know, at running back, where the the wear and tear catches up on these prospects so much faster than any other position, and so that's another thing, like why we said go into the NFL after your junior season is so you don't have that wear and tear uh, on your body um, because the, those carries do add up. So if you can get into the NFL uh, with as few carries as possible, that is probably the best case scenario for you. And that's probably what NFL teams want to see because, yeah, if, if you look at some of these guys that are just consistently carrying the load um, and already have that, that wear and tear on them, that, that's not great. And, and just as we see with, with running back, and that's one of the reasons you don't draft a running back highly is just because the average length of, of a successful running back career is so much shorter than, than every other position. The turnover is just so high. So that's another thing you have to keep in mind as, as you're looking at some of these guys. Yeah, and just... The sheer volume, he averaged over his last two seasons, his uh, sophomore and junior year, 21.6 carries per game. So we can round up and say 22 carries a game. That is very close to the average number of carries where over a 16-game season, which these two seasons were 14 and then 12 games. So that's not as much wear and tear as you would see at the NFL level. But historically, there there's a barrier for running backs where if they get if they hit 370 carries, their next season basically falls off a cliff production wise. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an old football outsiders research project. I think the good thing in the NFL is running backs just don't hit that mark anymore uh, because I think NFL teams have have figured out that is that is not a good way to keep 
running backs fresh. So I think when you, when you look at this year, uh, this past year in the NFL, Ezekiel Elliott led the league in rushing attempts with 304. Um, so he wasn't even close to that 370 number. Um, and then number two was Saquon Barkley at 261. So there were 40 carries in between Elliott and Barkley, who were one and two in carries. So uh, at the NFL level, you just you don't see that high rate of usage anymore. A one because I think we've realized passing is more efficient than rushing, so it's not people just pounding the ball you know 25 times a game anymore like like it used to be. So so that's a good thing, but that is not always the case in college. We still see some very run heavy teams in college. Luckily, that that will translate a little better to a slightly reduced workload in the NFL. Yeah, I think the only team to really run a running back into the ground like that was the Cowboys with uh, DeMarco Murray's last season with them. I believe they he wound up going past the 370 mark, and you could you could see it his next his next year. Granted, he went to an Eagles team that where their blocking scheme and offense didn't really fit his skill set but he was never really the same player, which that doesn't have a whole hell of a lot to do with subject of this podcast. Although uh, maybe Ezekiel Elliott might want to pay attention for next year. Just throwing that out there. Maybe maybe he should uh, invest in some uh, insoles or something because could be carrying the ball a lot. Yeah. So that was the, the 20, 14 season the Murray had 392 carries that I mean that that's part of the reason like Le'Veon Bell held out this year because uh in 2017 uh, 321 carries uh, led the NFL so he's someone who, who did get used uh, quite a bit but again that's just something to keep in mind for for a bunch of these running back prospects as as you look at it because it's just it's the nature of the position right now so I think we're we're going to end it there when we get into these shows next week, now that we've previewed everything, I think next week we'll focus on the Senior Bowl uh, because that is happening down in Mobile, Alabama uh, next week. And and that's where the, really the, the scouting process and really the draft season really kickstarts with, with the Senior Bowl because that's the first time we, we see some of these guys uh, and then everything is kind of a straight line toward toward the offseason, free agency in between. But then that's it's all scouting college players from from here on out in terms of, of where that's going. So this year, the senior bowl does have a really intriguing roster North and South. There are guys that we have talked about who will be on the field. There's guys we haven't talked about yet, but we are both interested in who will be on the field. So those should be pretty fun shows. Yeah, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll get into that next week. Um, so you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Leave a rating or review if you have not. That helps us out greatly. You can follow our work on BigBlueView.com. Follow BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView and Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. Follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. Follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. So thank you guys for listening and we will talk to you again soon.
Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.